One of the things as a pastor that I bump into uh, and have for many years um, is people being offended by me. Uh, <laughs> and this has happened for a long time. But the thing is, um, have you guys noticed a upswing on people just being offended in general? Like everybody's offended all the time. And you'd be amazed at some of the letters I get and the emails and the, the stuff. And um, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm, I'm always amazed at what people choose to be sort of linked to or obsessed with or, or what have you. And, uh, and there's, there's people that just kind of say stuff that I just, I just don't even get. Um, one guy on social media the other day uh, said, why are you so obsessed with law enforcement and police officers? Wow, obsessed. Am I obsessed by law enforcement? I mean, I am when I'm driving 68, okay, 88 on the freeway. Uh, I'm obsessed with making sure I don't bump into them. But yeah, we support our law enforcement here at Athey Creek. And, and this guy's like, you know, why are you so obsessed? And, and I just answered back and I said, well, obsessed is a little strong word. Once in a while, I've from time to time mentioned that we support law enforcement here at Athey Creek. And, um, and I, I just said, that's not really obsession. And, and then I, w I was curious, what's his, what was his point? And, um, and I even asked this a couple times, what, what's your point about this? You know, are you saying that we should? And I don't know if this guy's from local area or from maybe he's from Texas where you know, law enforcement is more appreciated or something. But here in Portland, it's pretty much proven that our, you know, we've, we have treated our law enforcement horribly and that's why we're the lowest amount of officers, what was it, the last 30 years. We've, we're, we, uh, we've got a real problem with crime and homicide and all this stuff. It's because you know, we haven't supported our police and we're, we're, you know, the whole defund the police thing. It's kind of a thing in our culture. So from time to time, uh, I've mentioned, hey, we, we, we're really glad for police officers. And even it's a Bible thing. The Bible says, Romans 13, law enforcement is actually a minister of God, whether they're saved or unsaved. doesn't matter, they're still a minister. Because his point was 90% of police officers aren't even saved. And why would you even care about it? You know, it's like, wow. And um, so instead of chatting, that was like, I thought, you know, I normally don't answer anything on social media and it reminded me again why I never do. It's a total waste of time. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, he was, a, he was friendly enough, but just kind of, I think very misguided, whatever his point is. And he made some point about uh, someone being sort of a victim, being a victim mentality. I'm like, man, wow. I, I, anyway, maybe I'm just too stupid and don't understand. Or he's just a weirdly offended person by something I said. And I've had to learn to get used to that. People just, you know, they hear things the way they want to hear them. Now, uh, what about this? And, and are you easily offended? Now, before you answer that question, some of us view the person who's offended, you know, with blue hair and a uh, rainbow shirt running around Portland, uh, who's offended that we you say something like, we're pro-life. Ah! You know, here in Portland, they're offended that we would say something like that. So they freak out and that's what we view. But I wanna warn us as brothers about being offended. And you might think you're not easily offended, but offended can look different. It can look like a snowflake uh, in our culture that's a little wacko that is offended by the smallest little thing. You think, what a weirdo. Um, that's true, that is weird. But I think we can also do it in our own way as well. We can be offended and we'll talk about what that looks like. The reason I wanna bring this up today is because I, I see far too many of us in this current age and culture um, were so easily offended and it's become a contagion. It's become a problem. Um, 
One of the things our goal here, the reason why we call this Ironworks is that we really get it from, you know, Proverbs 27, 17. As, as we've been doing this for about three and a half years now. Um, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And uh, our goal here is to say, let's sharpen each other as brothers. And so when we get together, it was once a month at Ironworks, our goal is to say, how can we sharpen ourselves? And one of the things that I think we've lost our edge a little bit and maybe been doled as men in general in our culture is we're, we're so easily derailed or offended or angry or bothered by things around us. I love the fortitude and the strength that's seen in a man that's not easily you know, shaken or frazzled or troubled. Um, you know, I, I just love that, you know, I love that image. What was that movie? I think uh, Band, not Band of Brothers. It was a movie, you know, Jim Elliott, the guy with the big mustache, you know, uh, he talks really low like this, you know, that guy. Um, there was some movie, you guys will remember what it was, um, the Vietnam era, and, uh, and they're, they're get, jumping off the, the, the helicopter into the jungle, and there's bullets singing everywhere, you know, in this uh, Vietnam War scene. And there's this photographer who's bravely going into battle with all these guys, not carrying a weapon, but carrying a, a, a camera. And he's running around, and choo, 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 you hear these bullets, like, you know, you're just like, wow, that's, that's intense. And uh, the, the photographer kind of runs, and he dives into some weeds, and he's laying kind of quivering in the weeds, and, and Jim Elliott just kind of walks up, standing, you know, bullets, his hair kind of, you know, kind of, you know, it's like bullets, and he says, you ain't gonna get any pictures down there, sonny. <laughs> uh, I just, I, there's something about the man that's just not rattled by anything. Uh, just a, now, some of you would say, well, that was just dumb standing there with bullets, uh, you know, going around your head. I get that. But, but I, I think a lot of people, a lot of men are easily derailed and angered or upset or uptight, bitter. Um, see, offended can become bitter or angry, it, it, it shows itself in kind of a different way. Uh, and if you're, you're not a snowflake, it might not, you know, you're offended, might not be screaming in the street of Portland, why? Like that, that's not really the, I don't picture many of you guys doing that, not many of you. <laughs> but I do wonder if we have our own way of letting our lives be sort of derailed by being offended by stuff that we see around us and I wonder if maybe the Lord would say, um, I want you to be strong as men and, and watch out for that. Well, um, all that to say, uh, Psalm, <laughs> Psalm 119, verse 165 is a great word that reminds us of where we can have great peace, which is kind of the op opposite of offended in some ways. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Uh, isn't that interesting, the word nothing there? In, in the Bible, you know, the Bible's inspired by the word, it's by the word of God, you know, and it says here, nothing shall offend them. Who's that person? The person and, that has great peace, which love thy law. This is, of course, Psalm 119, verse 165. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and all but like two or three verses in that whole chapter are talking about the word of God. The, in fact, the word whether it's law, statute, judgment, precepts, commandments, whatever the word is, it's all about the word, the word of God uh, in that chapter. And this is one of those many verses that says, what's the benefit of being a person who loves the word of God, the law of the Lord, which they called that the Old Testament back in those days, the law. Great peace have they, which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Um, that's why I, I think it's important for us to be as men, lovers of God's word. 
and say, man, we're gonna be in it, we're gonna study it, we're gonna spend time looking at it and memorizing it and reading and growing. Like that's such an important thing because this is really the hope for all of us as men that nothing will offend us. Um, because being offended, I, as it turns out, I don't think being offended, was Jesus ever offended? Um, I don't believe he was. Offended is, I think, missing the mark um, in, in many ways. Um, but Jesus was a lot of things when the cross happened and all the stuff that we're reading in our Through the Bible study. But I don't think, I'm, I don't think just, I'm just so offended. Uh, I don't think that was part of Jesus's plan, nor should it be ours. So as it turns out, the study of God's word and loving God's word will secure sort of a high level peace and trust and confidence. Um, you know, you take, you show me a Christian who's rooted and grounded in the word of God and I'll show you a man who's got great peace even in the midst of troubled times. Uh, and we can, we can be strong in troubled times. Boy, how our families, our kids, our you know, wives and, and our relatives, the people that we work with, how would they need to see uh, men that are not easily moved or easily shaken by what's going on around them? Um, so all, that's, all that to say, I believe, by the way, today, um, there's more things that are potentially offending uh, or offensive than, than just about anywhere. And it's interesting because we're living in a day where people are offended by Christians and just the base element of Christianity, they, they are offended by that. And there's a real hatred and vitriol in our culture that's rising. Makes you wonder about persecution, stuff like that. So should we be offended? What should we be? Well, I believe great peace have they, which love the law, the word of God, uh, and we can not be offended. Um, by the way, Jesus um, said this would become more and more common as we get closer to the end times, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ. Where did he say that? Well, in the Olivet Discourse, do you remember when we studied that a, you know, a couple of weeks ago? Matthew 24, 10. Uh, then shall they be offended and they shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Uh, I believe this is talking about the tribulation period where it's gonna be, this is gonna be reaching new levels of wackoness, uh, this of people being offended. Everybody's gonna be offended and they're gonna hate each other and betray one another. This is what's gonna happen in the last days. So the word offended, if you look it up in the, in the Webster's Dictionary, uh, it, it, uh, to offend, it means to uh, irritate, annoy, or anger, um, but, but um, this is kind of a key part of it, to cause resentful or resentment, resentful displeasure in something. Um, so when we talk about being offended, it may not look like we always think it looks, I'm so offended or whatever, but it could show itself just by being irritated by someone or something, annoyed or even riled up, you know, angered. And then resentment is something that sets in. Resentment is something that kind of settles in your heart that's, that doesn't go away easily, um, which starts to remind me of the way the Bible talks about being offended um, and it, how it becomes, you know, offended becomes resentment, which becomes bitterness. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And, and what it does to you. I believe that this might be one of the most unspoken things that ruin people's lives. And we don't talk about it that much, but it's something that slowly takes root in your life. And if it goes unchecked, 
Uh, man, it'll mess you up. At minimally, it'll dull you as a man. Remember, as iron sharpens iron, if you wanna be a sharpened man, you gotta watch out for this temptation to be easily angered or irritated or offended by something that happens. There's actually an Old Testament story I'd like to show you. And um, I love the Old Testament story for its pictures. You know, It's a giant picture book of all the really cool things that we can learn. And on this topic, uh, I, I love the story of Judges. Why don't you flip over to the book of Judges in your Bible, Judges chapter eight. Now, there's quite a story that leads up to Judges chapter eight that you kind of need a tiny bit of the backdrop. And, and I'm assuming a lot of you guys already know kind of the story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon's there freaked out because the Midianites were over, you know, oppressing the Jews. They were much more powerful than the Jews. And they would come and hassle the Jews for their farmlands, for the fruit of their crops, uh, killing people. So Gideon's kind of afraid. He's threshing his wheat in a pit to avoid being caught by the Midianites. And the Lord comes and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, I've called you to help deliver my people. And Gideon's like, uh, I think you got the wrong guy. A mighty man of valor. He's, he's a guy who's totally chicken sitting there and is, you know, threshing his wheat in a hole because he's afraid. Uh, don't you love how the Lord sees us in our potential? He knows what we, what we can do and what we can't do. Even when we don't even think we can do it, the Lord knows what you can do. And he says, Gideon, no, I know you don't realize this yet, but you are a mighty man of valor. And you know the story. The Lord says, I'm gonna have you put together an army. And, and Gideon most famously uh, does, uh, you know, the one that you guys all remember is the fleece. Remember, he lays out the fleece. But he actually did like three or four other things too. Remember, he made a meal and set it on a rock. Lord, if you're really in this, um, you know, show me that you're in this. Fire came down from heaven and took the meal off the rock. It's like, no, oh, that was pretty good, but I'm still not convinced. Like, like, it's so funny that Gideon, like we count him as a man of faith. He went to battle against the Midianites with just, you know, 300 guys, like, wow. But he actually was a man of lacking faith horribly because man, you, I think even you and I probably after the meal thing and the fire from heaven, we're like, okay, the Lord's with us, man, great. Check that box. Um, but then there was the whole vision of the bread roll rolling down the hill and smashing the tents. Of, like, do you guys remember all this stuff? There's some cool stories there, but sign after sign, the Lord gives them. The fleece thing was just two more attempts. Oh, Lord, I'm gonna put the fleece out. If there's dew on the fleece and, there's, and the ground is dry, then I'll know you're with me. Lord did it. He's like, well, that was pretty cool, Lord. But let's just go one more time. In fact, this time the dew will be on the ground and the fleece will be dry. Like just to make sure it wasn't some kind of coincidence or something. That sounds pretty funny. But, but all in all, the Lord, you know, convinces Gideon, I'm here. Hello. It's like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to go before you. But Gideon, you know, makes the call um, to everyone in Israel. Sounds the trumpet of war. And everybody was supposed to show up to this battle. And he had a, a crowd of, that showed up, but, but the Midianites still had way more people, a much huge, much huger army than poor Gideon. And Gideon's like, oh man, there's trouble. But do you remember the story? Um, the Lord says, okay, this is too many guys. You, you don't need all these guys. Um, and so, you know, send the guys that are afraid and fearful for their lives, send them home. Uh, okay, anybody who's afraid, go home. <laughs> Almost everybody goes home. 
Um, but then he's left with some of the brave guys, you know, and then remember the whole riverside creek thing? Okay, now go get a drink by the river. And, and if a guy gets down on his belly and laps up the water from his belly, then, um, and, and, you know, then he goes home. But the guy that, you know, is there at the river scooping up water with his hand, um, you, you know, he's gonna stay with you. And this cracks me up. The older I get, I know what was going on there. Um, for you older guys, uh, you know, going down to your knee uh, and, or, you know, sometimes that's a little painful. You know, it's like <laughs> all the old guys are like, oh man, I've got to get some water here. You know, but, um, but, but what was the deal? He, the Lord says the guys that stayed on one knee and just kind of scooped up water and brought it to their mouth. Um, now, why did he do this? I don't know. I, I remember a Bible teacher once said, well, the guys that were, they were alert and they were the ones watching as they were scooping water up. But the whole point of the story is the Lord saying, I'm gonna save by few and not by many. Like, I'm not gonna save you by your great skill and your amazing army. That was the whole point of narrowing it down to just 300 dudes. Well, the story goes, you know, the sword of the Lord and Gideon and the pitchers and the fire, and I'm giving you kind of a quick version of this, but the Midianites were confounded and confused and um, ended up being wiped out by Gideon's tiny, tiny, tiny little army. The, the amazing thing is like 145,000 of these, you know, Midianites, um, and Gideon conquers them. Well, um, during that whole thing, some of the leaders of you know, the, um, the Midianites uh, started to run for their lives. And, um, and so there were some guys, the Ephraimites, who kind of showed up late to the party. And they ended up chasing down the two leaders, Oreb and Zeb. <laughs> some Bible names you might consider if you're expecting children, the good Bible names, Oreb and Zeb. Um, you could maybe use those, probably shouldn't though, because these guys, uh, they end up being beheaded uh, by the Ephraimites um, and all that stuff. So that's not a great way to get ahead. But, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, <clears throat> so, the, so, so Gideon does all the work, you know, and they're mopping up after the battle and, and the Ephraimites got Oreb and Z, but that's all they did. Uh, but, but after the, the mop up, then chapter eight of Judges happens. And this is, gets, gets kind of strange. It's, it's chapter eight, verse one. It says, and the men of Ephraim said unto him, Gideon, why hast thou served us thus, that thou called us not when thou wentest to fight with us, uh, with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he, Gideon said unto them, what have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abi Rezer? Uh, you know, uh, he's saying, didn't you guys do better than us in the sense that, he says, verse three, God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? And then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Gideon is a, um, is a wise, you know, communicator um, because these men of Ephraim were total losers. And I'll tell you why. These guys were called to battle by Gideon earlier in the story, but they didn't show up. They showed up. You know, when, you, when you're moving and you, you call your buddies, man, I'm moving. 
and I get the U-Haul and you're, you call your buddies, like, Can, I need some help hauling the piano and the beds and couches. And all those guys show up to help you, but there's always that one guy that kind of waits and he shows up right when the last couch kind of goes into the U-Haul. It's like, oh man, it looks like I missed all the fun, you know? And, and uh, that's the Ephraimites here in this story. They got to do the fun part, beheading Oreb and Zeb. Uh, but they didn't do any of the other f- scary part. You know, it's easy to go chase down two guys and chop their heads off compared to fighting 145,000 people in an army b- battle. I mean, um, these guys were totally late to the show. And then they had the audacity to come to get and say, why didn't you call us? He did call them, but they just didn't come. So they're, they've got this offense and they chide. The word chide is a word that means to rail against and to be angry about something, offended. He, they they ch- did chide against Gideon saying, why, why didn't you call us and you know, left us out of the battle? Well, Gideon, you know, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And Gideon, I think, gets this. And so Gideon says, listen, guys, what did, what did we do better than you? You guys got the two leaders and, and took care of Oreb and Zeb. You guys, got, you guys did the big work. Good job, pat, pat, pat. And, and then it says, and the anger of the Ephraimites was abated. What does the word abated mean? Well, it's, it's a word that's not great when it comes to the idea of anger because it doesn't mean that it's completely done away with. It means it is still lingering, but they're gonna kind of say, yeah, okay, whatever, and put it aside for a moment. Uh, can I just tell you, brothers, that's not a good thing for you to do that with your anger. To have your anger abated is not the Christian way. Um, the Christian way is to say, to totally forgive and to set new and to start over and to put away anger um, you know, from you. Uh, to, to choose to not be angry. Uh, to fight against the propensity to still be anger because that anger turns into bitterness and the bitterness turns into trouble. So you'd think this is the end of the story. Great. Gideon avoided conflict with the, the tribe, his, their brothers, but they're the tribe of Ephraim. Gideon just says, okay, well, uh, at least that's gone. But, but their anger was only abated. And we'll see in a, in a few minutes, I'll show you where it's gonna come back to haunt them uh, once again. But <clears throat> what I would like to do here uh, is, is kind of consider, you know, what, what is it? Nothing... Nothing like, you know, anger or a little seed or root of anger to start to cause trouble. Um, And the Bible uses the uh, idiom of the the, the seed that starts to sink into the soil and there's a root of bitterness that starts to spring up. That's the imagery of the Bible. And you can be a young man and think, I'm young and I'm I'm positive, I'm an optimistic person, but if you let that little root of bitterness sink into your heart, can I just tell you, as an older man, you can be able to hide it. It can be under the soil for a long time and you're just a happy-go-lucky guy. But if you let that root of bitterness stick in there, by the time you're an old man, you're gonna be grouchy. You're gonna be, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy. What happens to these guys? There's nothing cooler to me than an old man that's still jolly. Uh, that's just really cool. You gotta love you know, older guys, that have, especially that have seen some life and been through hard things but they still have joy and they still have peace. You know, that, that's actually harder to find in a lot of ways. Men get grouchier and grumpier with time, generally speaking. We've got some dudes in our church that are some of my heroes. We got these older guys that just walk around Eighth Creek with a spring in their step and joy in their heart. And somehow, some way, they didn't allow the bitterness of life to just take root 
Um, you know, when you're younger, you don't really see this even as a problem. You just kind of tuck it under the soil. But do you know that's a seed? If you don't deal with it uh, over and over and over and over again, you're gonna end up later being this bitter old man if you're not careful. And your wife's gonna think you're a grouch and your kids are gonna avoid you. And what, what happens? What, what happened there? Um, so part of this is to keep us sharp as men by preventative maintenance. Uh, it's just like changing the oil in your rig. You gotta make sure and change the oil. If you don't do that, eventually, uh, that's not gonna work out so good. Uh, preventative maintenance on this anger thing. Um, you know, uh, too many people, even in the church, in the body of Christ, are standing paralyzed at the side of the battlefield, um, not doing anything, and standing there being offended. Are you one that's offended by the church or by what, a, you know, what people say about things or whatever? And sometimes that sidelines you, it puts you on the bench. If you're sitting around being offended or angry about something, you're not gonna be used mightily. Um, one of the lines I've had to kind of employ over the years is when somebody comes, I'm offended about what you're doing at AC Creek. And, uh, and, you know, I do listen to those, uh, especially the constructive criticisms. I've got a governing elder team that I, I'm so thankful for. I can bounce everything off of, and I, I lean on them for reality and, and accountability. I, I ask them, am I doing this wrong? Uh, do I have the wrong heart or attitude on this stuff? Because I get so much, you know, this, I'm offended by this. Or, But here's what I've noticed is a lot of times people just become really good at being offended, and they're, that's all they're good for. Um, and I think that that's a problem. Uh, if you're one of those guys always walking around criticizing and, and being offended or angry or bitter or whatever, uh, what are you, I would ask you, what are you doing? What good thing are you doing? You know, I want to say to them, you know, I like what I'm doing more than what you're not doing. Because uh, I I'm, know I'm, I'm not perfect, and I know Asa Creek's definitely not a perfect church, but at least we're trying to do something uh, and we're seeing people saved and baptized and discipled, flawed as we are, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do some work here. Um, I keep getting this letter from this guy about my t-shirts that I wear. <laughs> and he's offended. Um, he, he, he made a point, you know, that you, you don't let us see what your shirt says. What are you advertising? <laughs> Hope you're frustrated this morning if you're watching. <laughs> Can you see what this says? Oh yeah, it says Maui. I'm promoting Hawaii. <laughs> if the guy's wondering why I wear certain t-shirts and stuff, it's not about what it says on there. If I can find a big enough t-shirt for me, I wear it. I don't care what it says. <laughs> um, and then he went on to say, you know, you know, about my shirts that I should, you know, I wouldn't wear this at a funeral. I, those of you that know me, I sure would. <laughs> and I have. Um, it's just a funny thing to be so into. Like, he, and, he, and, and the best line in his letter, I was so thinking, he said, this is the last letter you're gonna get about your t-shirts. I'm like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Please, stop writing me. Um, but but um, I would say, you know, uh, with my t-shirt flaw and my sin that I am dealing with with t-shirts, um, what is that guy doing? Well, he's sitting around his house writing letters, uh, but you know, maybe if he thought about what's actually, what some of the good stuff that's happening, and maybe the Lord can use something as stupid as a t-shirt. You know, there's actually guys that go to our church because they see, oh, the pastor's 
totally a loser with his clothing, I could come here. Look at it, he's not fashion conscious. You know, there's a lot of guys in this room. How many of you guys do not own a suit? Raise your hand. See? More than half of the guys here. See, I love you guys. You're, you're the peeps. If you're offended by a t-shirt, then um, go to a church where the, there's a suit wearing pastor. There's plenty of suit wearing pastors. Uh, I have noticed a lot of times those churches are empty, but, um, oh, ouch, oh, ouch. Just kidding. No, I should have said that. Can you edit that part out? Thank yeah, thank you. Got it. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I love that there's good churches you can go to that are suit-wearing dudes, man. That's great. A little class to the Christian faith. That's great. But there's plenty of that. Um, but it's just funny how people are so easily offended by things that are so small and meaningless, you know. Um, but all that to say, uh, you know, I, I'm gonna like what we're trying to do, even as, as flawed as I am wearing T-shirts and covering up what it says. Um, by the way, I got this shirt from our, one of our groups of watch parties in, in, in Maui. Uh, they, they send, once in a while, they send me shirts. And what's so cool, you know those big Samoan guys down there in Hawaii? They make huge T-shirts. And they send me like, you know, a lot of people send me like an XL shirt. It's like, that'd be like spandex on me, man. It's like... <laughs> Um, but the guys from Hawaii send me shirts that actually fit. Like, they're big, and I love it. Uh, it's kind of cool. Anyway, too much information. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, uh, here's what we want to kind of cover, uh, and we'll learn more from this story in Judges. But if you're jotting down notes, note, note first of all with me, being offended plants a little seed. Um, you know, you, you know, you start you, when you let a seed of offense get into your heart. You start fixating, and you start doing weird stuff, fixating on something that really doesn't matter at all. Um, and you can find everybody else is looking at you, going, "What's your problem, dude? Why are you so offended about that?" Um, you don't want to be that person. Seeds of offense are the beginning of developments uh, of your life that's going to uh, bring out ugliness in the future. It might start out small, like a little seed. But, um, you know, it's interesting. We have the ability to refuse the thought or even uproot the seed before it the offense is a fully grown garden of bitterness in your life. Um, can I just give you young guys a word, uh, you know, from an older dude? Um, when you're angered or upset by something, be quick to forgive, be quick to forget, uproot that seed before, like if you're 18 years old, don't let seeds linger in your heart because as a young guy, you don't even notice it really. Like, yeah, whatever, I'm not offended. Yeah, 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 whatever. But if you really have it still in there and it's still bugging you somehow, when you're 48, you're gonna start seeing, where did that anger come from? Why am I irritable? Why am I treating my family badly? Why am I grouchy at work? Um, and, and it's just a little root of bitterness that started to somewhere spring up from something you never really uprooted when it should have been dealt with. Um, there are four main ways those seeds get sown into your and my heart. The first one is, is what people say to us. You know, sometimes somebody will say something, you'll just be offended. Um, and it's a funny thing because you might even say, yeah, whatever, I don't care about that, sticks and stones. But if you really are, if, if a person says something to you and then you're kind of like, um, I'm gonna tuck that away. And every time I see that dude, I'm like, what a loser. Uh, I remember what he said to me that day. Uh, and and, and that, that's letting that seed take root in the soil of your heart. Or sometimes it's not what a person said. Number two, it's what people did not say to you that you can be offended. Wow, he never thanked me for the work I'm doing. I find it interesting, my boss never gives me a pat on the back. Um, don't be offended. 
Uh, you know, if the way I look at it, you know, when I was working, especially when I was working with my dad in construction, as long as I was off my dad's radar, <laughs> mission accomplished. I didn't want to hear good job or add a boy. I just didn't want him coming after me for what I was doing wrong. Um, and, and that was the thing. And, and, but I wasn't looking for the pat on the back. I think too many guys are looking for accolades and approval. Um, the only one who approves that matters is God. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, heart, do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Don't, don't do what you do to hear from people and get pats on the backs and attaboys. That's not really uh, what we're called to be as men, but to be men of integrity, work hard, do good, and let the Lord short, you know, sort out who gets the reward and what have you. So what others say to us can offend us, what people don't say to us, but then also, <clears throat> number three, what others did to us. You know, negative actions against us. You can be offended by not only words, but deeds. And then fourthly, what people did not do for us or didn't do for us, you know, uh, favor. Well, he wasn't there when I needed him and were offended uh, or assistance that we did not receive or, you know, uh, and we, we find ourselves as men, well, that guy never really paid me. And, I, you know, it's funny, it'd be better for you just to forgive the debt and say, you know what, forget that, other than, you know, I know that there's a point where you gotta say justice and all that, but I think sometimes it's better to forgive some guy that owes you money, forgive his debt uh, and love him and care for him than to sit around being bitter. Well, he never paid me the money that he owed me. I've watched that old story pan out to just full-blown bitterness when somebody was wronged. Um, might, it might be a good thing for you to think about, Lord, are there issues? Somebody said something to me that I hold a grudge or I'm letting it be, ang I'm still angry about. I'm acting like I'm not angry, but I kind of still am. Um, you gotta watch out. Being offended plants a little seed. Not a, good, not a good look. But number two, the little seed turns into a great tree. That's the problem. And this is where the Bible uh, speaks of this all the time. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 12, um, verses 14 uh, through 15. Uh, it says there, uh, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Isn't it interesting, the Bible says on this issue of the root of bitterness, <clears throat> the Bible says many are defiled by this. Are you part of that group of many defiled by the root of bitterness that took place? Um, instead, it gives us the remedy first. Follow peace with all men and holiness. The word holy just means altogether whole, lacking for nothing. If you lack for nothing trusting in God, then you shouldn't be offended because you're lacking for nothing. That's holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So, um, so looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Grace is God's kindness that is undeserved, unearned. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, grace. Undeserved, unearned favor. And grace is that which, even though we're rascally sinners, the Lord says, not only am I not gonna punish them, I'm gonna be gracious and kind to them. And, and as it turns out, you and I are supposed to be like the Lord in that. Well, but Brett, he wronged me. We've wronged the Lord. And yet he's still gracious to us. 
So Ephesians 4, you know, it says, be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Um, this is something that we're supposed to do. Um, and put away wrath and bitterness with all malice. Uh, and be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You and I have been, as Christian men, we don't have any room for bitterness at all. Um, otherwise, we're, we're failing of the grace of God. Um, as God's been gracious to us, <clears throat> we need to be gracious <clears throat> to our kids, our families, um, the people we work with, um, lest any root of bitterness springs up tr and troubles you. That's the problem with the root of bitterness. The Bible teaches that the root of bitterness will bring trouble in your life. And the sad statistic is many. I don't know what, how many many is, but when I see that in the Bible, many will be defiled by this root of bitterness. Man, it makes me wonder, Lord, have I allowed this to happen unchecked? And if you wanna be sharper as a man, you gotta deal with this. Make sure that there's no root that's stuck in your heart. The root of bitterness, the problem is with the root of bitterness is it's underground and nobody can see it, at least not at first. Uh, it's easy to hide and camouflage. But seldom do you find anyone that'll admit that, that they're bitter uh, at, per, uh, at a person. They'll either deny it or they'll disguise it, uh, but they'll cover it up, but it's still in the, in the heart. Um, man, watch out for that. Um, so what, what's a sign that you're, you have a, a, a anger or bitterness in your heart or offended by something that someone said or did? Um, the, the sign is that you are uh, overly sensitive, maybe, or uh, you might say hypersensitive, um, ungrateful. Uh, maybe you're, you find yourself becoming more and more insincere. These are all fruits of the tree of the root of bitterness, holding grudges, um, quick mood swings from happiness to anger. These are all things that I think a lot of times men don't deal with. And so uh, people wonder, why is that dude such a grouchy, angry man? Um, a lot of times it has to do with undealt with bitterness, the root of bitterness that has sprung up. Um, James chapter three uh, talks about where this comes from. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Implication, you can deceive yourself on this one. I'm cool, it's all good, when it's really not. Don't deceive yourself. Don't lie against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. This whole thing that happens in our heart, the root of bitterness, bitter envying and strife, it comes from the devil. That's what the Bible says. And many are defiled by it, it says in our text. So kind of an important deal. So, so you got this idea of, um, you know, the little seed then turns into a great tree. First, being offended plants the seed or being, you know, uh, bitter or angry about something. Um, the little seed turns into a great tree and the Bible warns about that where it comes from is Satan. And then uh, point number three, then it starts to produce fruit. The bad tree starts to produce fruit. And did you know Jesus even talked about this? We studied this a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 12, where we learn about the bad tree. Um, Jesus said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Oh, generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. Man, what a secret uh, to life Jesus reveals here. If you're a guy that says, man, I don't know where that came from. You know, you, you lash out at your kids with anger. And you're like, man, where did that come from? It came from your heart. Right from the depth of your soul. Oh no, that's not the real me. No, no, that's, that's the real you. And, and it, what, what that's an indication of is there's something in your soul that's just, you've allowed the root of bitterness in there and you're starting to become a bad tree with bad fruit. Jesus says there's either good trees or bad tree. And the question is, which one are you? Now, of course, the Pharisees that he was talking to, they were bad fruit trees. Um, they, they thought they were good. They thought they were pious and better than everybody else. But as it turns out, they were bad trees bearing bad fruit. And Jesus says, don't be shocked. When you speak good things coming out of your mouth, that means that you know, you've probably got a good tree, but if you're speaking bad things and evil things from your mouth, um, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, you can tell what's going on in your soul when people tick you off or tip you over. When you're tipped over, you find out what's in the cup. When your life is tipped over, you find out what's in your cup. Are you a, a person that's got poison, bitter stuff? You can have the veneer of dialed in, you know, but if it's, if it's going on in your soul, where that root of bitterness is taken. Um, so for, it says the tree is known by his fruit. And that's another thing. You have to introspectively, Lord, is my fruit in my life good? Do I have good fruit or bad fruit? Which one is it? And, and you gotta kind of think about all contexts. Because here at church, at, you know, at an ironworks, uh, hanging out with the brothers after a couple of donuts and some coffee, you got the sugar flowing through the veins. You're feeling pretty good. Uh, and we can be real friendly with the guys, the brothers, and you're like, yeah, I've got good fruit. I look at how friendly I'm being with all these dudes here at Athey Creek. This is the easy time. Forget this time. What about, what about you know, after 10 o'clock, hard day of work, and you're at home, and the, the kids are kind of been doing this and that, and you're a little bummed they didn't take out the trash, and your wife's asking you to clean the gutters, and you know, and you, there's, you know, gotta do this and that and the other thing, and, and pretty soon you kind of got this irritable, grouchy sort of thing going on. That's the time I'm talking about. When you start to be tipped over, what comes out? Good fruit or bad fruit? You gotta nip this in the bud. Um, we gotta cut out that root and uproot what's going on there, very important. Number four then, um, after the tree becomes this big bad tree, then, this is where it gets ugly, it can then lead to total destruction of a man. But that's over speaking, that's over, over saying it. Well, I've actually seen too many examples of guys that have taken it to where total destruction of a marriage, total destruction of family relationships, total destruction of, of their career. I've seen guys just that don't know how to tame their tongue and they don't know how to uproot the bitterness and they end up messing themselves up. Guess who was really good at doing that? The Ephraimites of our story. Let's go back to Judges real quick. I, I put here Judges chapter 12. So fast forward in the story here of Judges. Uh, go to chapter 12 of Judges with me. Because the Ephraimites show up again. Now Jephthah, and Gideon were contemporaries, but now that Gideon's gone, the Ephraimites sort of come back 
And remember, their anger was abated before, but the, the Ephraimites still had this sort of root of bitterness that they allowed. It never really went away. Remember, what they were offended. Hey, you didn't call us to battle. Yes, we did. Um, and you guys showed up late. Well, we, we're offended by you. Uh, well, you did a great job. You got Oreb and Zeb, pat, 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 nice job. Okay. But the, the, they still have this doofy bitterness that comes out years later. This is the way of bitterness that's rooted in your heart. It comes out years later. And it comes out in Judges chapter 12. So it says in um, Judges 12, verse one, it says, and the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? Um, we will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Again, same thing, just years later, Jephthah instead of Gideon, same groups of people. So here's Jephthah who's you know, gone to battle um, and he's doing all the hard, heavy lifting. I mean, there's always, these, this, there's always this guy, but here in the story, it's the Ephraimites. Hey, you didn't call us to battle. We're gonna burn your house with fire. Now, this is something that the, the, the Ephraimites, um, I've noticed people that talk big usually are not good fighters. Have you ever noticed that? The bigger the talker, probably the biggest the loser. It's, it's kind of a funny thing in, in some cases. Well, the Ephraimites are like, hey, we're gonna wipe, we're gonna burn your house out. Well, you should probably be careful who you say that to because Jephthah just wiped out a huge army with his men. And the Ephraimites kind of forgot to do the math. What if they beat us? Like, what if they, what if, they, we're gonna burn your houses down. You better measure that out before. That's what a root of bitterness does. Your reasoning goes out the window or knowing what's good for you often goes out the window. These Ephraimites, they're gonna be proven to be stupid. Uh, okay, so, hey, we're gonna burn your house because you didn't call us to go fight over against the Ammonites this time. It wasn't the Midianites, it was the Ammonites this time. Well, verse two, Jephthah's not quite as patient as was Gideon. Jephthah, verse two, uh, said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. The Ammonites were attacking Jephthah and his, his tribes, um, we were a great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. In other words, we did call you. Same story. They're just showing up late to the party and now they're bitter that they were left out of the great victory that Jephthah just had. And, and Jephthah said, yeah, when we called you, you didn't come. And so, you know, the, and, and, and the Ephraimites are already taking this posture of battle against Jephthah and his men. So verse three, Jephthah says, and when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up against me this day to fight against me? And these Ephraimites are just offended that they weren't called, even though they were. And then verse four, Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the um, Manassites. Now this is where the story gets interesting. So Jephthah crushes these goofy Ephraimites. Most of them are dead. Um, verse five, and the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites 
And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, said unto him, art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said, nay, then said they unto him, say now, Shibboleth. <laughs> and he said, Shibboleth. Brett, you're making that, no. It's true. They, they, the, the, the men of Gilead said, say Shibboleth. And they say, Sibbleth. <laughs> hey. <laughs> These are the Ephraimites. Easily offended. Brett, you're making that up. No. Have you ever, uh, you know, if you, if you grew up speaking, you know, a certain language, um, one of the things that's interesting is when you get older, your tongue is unable to do certain things. If you learn the language young, you can say stuff. Um, and it's interesting, like when I, when I go to the Middle East, um, a lot of the Middle Eastern languages, Hebrew uh, especially, they've got this guttural thing that comes down here when they're, you know, and it's like, and, and I try to get it to work down there, come, uh, and I just can't do it. And the Jews always laugh at me when I'm in Jerusalem. How do you say that? Um, but as it turns out, I, they say I'll never be able to do it because I, I, I'm an adult male and my vocal cords are already formed and stuff like that. Well, as it turns out, the men of Gilead could walk around saying Shibboleth all day long. I think it means little stream or something like that. Um, but the men of, of Ephraim, they lived in a different area and they grew up not saying that word and they, they couldn't do the Shibboleth in the correct way. They would say Shibboleth. With a just, and I looked this up. I've actually had a Hebrew professor pronounce this for me uh, to make sure I got it right. But that's exactly, and that's all they could say. So what did they do? This would reveal, that, see, see what happened is the men of Gilead slew almost all the Ephraimites, but the, 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 the Gileadite army was between the men that were left of Ephraim and the Ephraimites were trying to get home, but they had to go through the area where the, uh, the Gileadites were and so they were kind of walking through like, hey, uh, we're just trying to go home. Are you an Ephraimite? No. Say Shibboleth. And they'd say Sibboleth. And so what did you do? Well, check it out. This is great. I love the Bible. And he said Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of Ephraim 40 and 2,000. And Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died Jephthah the Gileadite. Um, bro, what's that story all about? It's, it's about a lot of things, but one of those things is the goofy Ephraimites behaved so badly. And what happens? Their bitterness that happened way back in our earlier chapter, where they were bitter against Gideon for not allowing them to come to the battle, um, that, that, that they, their anger was only abated so later on it came back, the same thing that was unchecked, undealt with later came back to totally destroy them. 42,000 men of Ephraim slain. What a sad, it's kind of a sad story really. <clears throat> you know, the problem is I've witnessed this bitterness and being offended and angry and not dealing with it. I've witnessed that split churches, um, failing great business ventures, I've seen the root of bitterness and unforgiveness destroy marriages and the best of relationships. Um, undealt with anger and bitterness and offendedness. Um, I've seen um, how it can delay 
the work of God in your life and even sideline you from doing anything of value. Um, it's amazing how dastardly this problem really is. And some guys, I think, are sort of chained to this thing and they don't understand why they, why they can't get where they wanna go and, and they're, they're chained up. I, I remember reading about the uh, circus, chained up circus elephant. And uh, there was a thing where, I guess they drive this little tiny, you know, nine inch stake into the ground and put a chain on it and then put it to the elephant's uh, ankle and it just, the circus elephant just stays there. And somebody asked, why doesn't the elephant just kind of twitch its leg and pull that tiny little stake out of the ground like he can do it so easily? Well, as it turns out, um, they do that from the very time when an elephant's just a little tiny baby elephant, they'll put a stake in the ground and chain his ankle to the, uh, the circus elephant, chain it, and, and because it's little and tiny, it can't pull the stake out. He tries when he's little, but eventually he realizes, I'm not strong enough to pull the, the stake out. Um, and so he just gives up. And so he grows into full adulthood. Now he's several tons. And with just a quick twitch of his leg, he could pull the stake out, but he doesn't because he thinks he can't. And some of you guys, I wonder if you're chained to something that you, it really is not strong enough to hold you, but it's still holding you because you don't realize there, that it's even there or that it's, it's something you can overcome. Something that you can have victory over. Do you understand the Lord wants to have you have victory over anger? He doesn't want us to be bitter people. The Lord says, I'll equip you and I'll give you what you need. We've been given the ability in our spiritual growth as men to sort of say, we need to deal with anger, bitterness, being offended. We need to deal with that rightly. And if we don't, we're in big trouble. Romans chapter 12 starts to give us some of the the how-tos of what this looks like. You can jot this down in your notes if you wish. Romans 12, 17 through 21. It says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Boy, you know, that verse 18, um, we should remember that. That's That's a good memory verse for all of us. Um, if it be possible, as much as lies within you, with everything you've got is the idea. Um, Live peaceably with some men. Live peaceably with the men you agree with. Live peaceably with Athey Creek guys. Well, that's the easier part. Um, It's a little harder to live peaceably with some of the dudes out at work or some of the people who live in Portland. Um, How do we do that? Well, the Bible just says, as much as lies within you, with all your might, uh, you, you're supposed to live peaceably with all men. And then, he, and then in his love for the church, Paul says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. You know, don't get vengeance, but rather give place unto wrath. That means put wrath aside and, and put it in its own place. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So one of the secrets is understanding it's not your job to repay or to lash back or to re, you know, kind of hammer people. It's the Lord's. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, I like that part. Burn him, burn his head off. 
Is that what that's saying when it says heap coals of fire? Uh, I remember when I was a young man studying this passage, I was a, like 17 year old thinking, I, I like that. I like the idea of burning somebody that's offended me or made me angry. The Lord gives me license to go burn his head off with some coals of fire. Okay, this, so I'm gonna be very, well, then I did some deeper study and it really troubled me. Because <laughs> what this actually means in Bible times, um, they didn't have Bic lighters and starting fire was kind of a hassle. Um, and if your fire went out in your house, you, you, you could go to your neighbor and ask for some of their fire. And um, what they would do is they would actually get some coals and embers from the fire, and they had this thing where they'd kind of wrap it up uh, in a pot, uh, or you know, in a cloth or a pot or something, and, they, and, then they, and then they would just put, you'd go and put that pot on your head and then walk, walk home, and then you'd take that pot down and pour the embers out on your own fire and start your fire with that instead of sitting there with a stick. <laughs> Survivor, you know, <laughs> trying to get the fire to work. Um, it, heaping coals of fire on someone's head was to bless their socks off, not burn their head off. Um, it's, it's, you gotta bless them. And then that's what makes sense when it says in verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the secret. The Bible gives us the secret. Uh, be not overcome. So don't avenge yourselves, key point. But then also don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So when someone wrongs you or offends you or makes you mad or whatever, instead of letting that root of bitterness, one of the ways you can root that up is to just reverse the whole thing by showing kindness to that very person. Being kind to them and not lashing back. So I probably have to write that guy a letter with my t-shirt problem and say something nice to him. Uh, and you know what? I think that'll free me up because I kind of look at that and I could go, I'm offended. That guy's so offended by my shirt. And then offended begets offended. And then pretty soon you're both bitter and upset about stuff. And uh, I just don't want to be that. So rather than overcoming or being overcome by evil, um, I'm going to overcome evil with good. That's one of the secrets to the Christian life. Now, there's some other secrets that we can clearly add, of course, and that is, you know, Jesus gave us the model for everything, didn't he? Um, and one of those is there he is hanging on the cross as they beat him, spat upon him, nailed him to the tree. And then he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiving someone before they're even sorry, uh, just having forgiveness in your heart and being gracious like Jesus was, um, that's how you start to uproot all that. And you make sure you really deal with that from a true heart, not just, I forgive you, whatever. No, it's gotta come from a real place where you, you, you be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is the way the Lord tells us to do it. Um, some of us just left, left it like the Ephraimites. Ah, well, my, my anger is abated, not good enough. You gotta let your anger go away and forgive do good to those that persecute you. Love your enemy. Be kind to those who persecute you or say evil manner against you. The Bible talks so much about this, it's not even funny. But it's something that I've found that men, we don't always deal with very well. We just kind of tuck it away, say, whatever. I'm just not gonna let that bother me. And then we wonder why we're irritable, grouchy, uh, or even angry old men. God forbid. I pray that Athey Creek men have a spring in their step, joy in their heart, and a big heartedness toward those who have wronged them. May the Lord give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this. Thank you so much for your grace and your goodness, your kindness, 
And we pray blessing. Lord, as we studied this, I pray that you'd um, put it in our hearts, show us, convict us where we need to receive the truth, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.